modus operandi, the MO of any software package. Something happens, start and return. Restart. 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 That's what you need on a board, control, alt, delete. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the GC Call. This is a podcast we're bringing to you from Gulf Capital the leading alternative investment firm in emerging markets, from North Africa to Southeast Asia. I'm Nabil Ismail, Executive Director. And I'm Alvaro Abella, Managing Director in the Private Equity Team. Think of the GC Call as a window into the investment process. In addition to our own expertise, you'll hear from other regional investors, entrepreneurs, and management teams, as well as advisors who participate in the overall process to demystify it together. We're joined today by Nick Ogden to discuss corporate governance, specifically the role of the board of directors. Nick is a serial entrepreneur, having founded WorldPay back in 1995 as the first internet payment service to guarantee worldwide payments. Since then, he founded ClearBank in 2014 and RTGS Global in 2019. Nick also sits on multiple boards, including ING-backed funding options, Visa-backed ShieldPay and Jidia, a Gulf Capital portfolio company. Perhaps maybe starting with the easiest but most difficult question, what is the role of a board of directors? I've, I've seen a lot of quotes going around discussing what a European you know, board would look like, versus, which, which has a lot more independence, versus an American one which focuses a lot more on uh, the, the shareholder itself. So in, in your experience, how would you define you know, the role of the board and the various committees that the board has. I, I come from this from, I guess, a strange position, really, because um, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. So the companies that I've set up, you know, I've been the the sole founding board member uh, in all of them, um, which is, is probably the easiest way to get governance going because you just have to agree with yourself. <laughs> but as the business grows, you need to bring in uh, new skills um, to support the business. Um, the, the role of the directors is to obviously, if, if in financial services, is to ensure compliance uh, and adherence to the various regulatory regimes that the company is operating under, um, but also to provide, I think, clear strategy and direction, and what quite often gets lost continuity to the company, um, because if the if the the board's changing its mind every three or four weeks or three or four months. That has a massively negative impact on, on on the business, and you know, consequently, shareholder value. As as businesses grow, you know, I, I've got I've got this view that the, the best business normally employs less than fifty people because it remains more like a family unit uh, than a large corporate. But as a business grows, especially in financial services, there is a requirement, you know, to form specific committees to manage governance and risk, uh, look at audit and look at the things that, that are really important for the business in relation to its own survival and its performance and responsibility, ethical performance and responsibility, right, to the market in which it's operating. When, when I founded ClearBank, you know, we had an audit committee and a risk committee um, looking at the, the financial management of the company. And this isn't just managing the, you know, the, the shareholder funds, the money that's being used to invest into the company if it's loss making, uh, or the money that it's using if it's profitable. It's to manage in a regulated business, more importantly, uh, the client fund side of things. Um, so when you get to then starting to bring that composition together, you need to bring in people with different skills who are complementary to the business. 
one of the challenges these days uh, and certainly since um, 2010 which is when i guess fintech started to emerge is finding that skill set i i would say that's uh, a very critical path and uh, thought process overall uh, regarding the skill sets and the different experience sets that board members bring particularly as you mentioned nick as the company grows how do you do that in a let's say collegial way when you understand okay we can't continue to just add people on the board because other it become otherwise it becomes a cacophony of different opinions if you have 15 people 20 people on the board so you have to be able to shift people out and how do you look at changing roles um substituting certain people while still maintaining a good balance at the board it's it's the same challenge that the the founder or the chief exec of the company has in relation to recruiting his management team uh, the last thing that you need within a, a growing company um, is uh, what I call revolving door syndrome, where you're bringing people into the company and they're leaving relatively quickly. Um, it's even more critical in relation to the board because the board's meant to be seen as a stability or stable part uh, of the business. One of the challenges that um, has emerged, certainly in, in Europe, in relation to the way that the financial service regulations have been applied, to you know for when you you set up a new bank is ironically you have to recruit your non-executive directors before you're actually authorized as a bank so what you're doing is you're bringing people into an environment that really doesn't exist it's still just an idea uh, it might not take off it might not get regulatory approval but you have to bring these people into the environment really um, I, I have great respect for the regulators, but it's more of a box tick to the regulators than a reality of support for the business. What then happens is as the business moves, you know, you get authorized, you become regulated, you then start to use the skills of the people that you've employed for the business that you are then becoming. And that's where the fractures occur. Because you may have recruited incorrectly, you may have somebody with the wrong skill set. But trying to change a non-executive director out of a regulated business is not simple. Um, and so choice is very, very important. And, you know, my advice now, having gone through this, is go really, really slowly on non-execs. Don't go and just grab somebody because you think it will fill a gap. Be dead upfront with the regulators if it's a regulatory permission position that um, you're trying to fill and explain to them that it's really, really important for both of you that you get the right candidate who's going to understand the business, understand the regulatory requirements, and stay with the business for, you know, potentially three years to serve their term before you rotate them out. So you're saying is that three year is sort of a, a good measure of when we need to analyze, evaluate performance of board members to understand whether, you know, they've you know, to lack, use a, uh, another term or lack of a better word, sort of they've met, they've reached their sell-by date. And specifically, I understand under regulatory oversight and businesses that have that regular, or regulatory oversight, such as in financial services. But let's go back to businesses that are investor uh, with several investors, VC-backed. Um, and in my experience, that was the case. As the company grows, you can't have, or typically a business doesn't have the same board members throughout 
uh, the different stages of growth. You as new investors come on board with different skill sets, with the ability to support the company in those growth stages. You typically change out some of the board members that have to, or that bring that complementary or that bring the requisite skill set for the next level of growth. So uh, question back to you, how, what is the, the time frame, or, you know, how do you assess when somebody has reached sort of their potential? Or, or their sell-by date. <laughs> or their sell-by date, for lack of a better word. I think it's very interesting. I mean, I'm fortunate to have, you know, sort of founded and built a number of different boards and see, seen how they progress. It, it normally starts to show when friction arrives between the investor directors who are representing the shareholders and the directors who are representing the interests of the business and are carrying a regulatory liability, i.e. Their, their, their position within the business has been approved. They've had to go to meet the, in the UK, the PRA and the FCA um, to get approval to, to form or perform the role of, of potentially a committee chair. Investor directors representing private equity groups um, have a requirement and an understanding to grow the business, make it successful and provide a return back to their shareholders in the same way really that the founders and the management team have. The non-executive directors who are for performing the regulatory roles don't ordinarily hold shares in the company. Um, they are truly independent. And therefore, they don't have that. Um, I'll use the word distraction. It's not the right word, but I think it, it sums it up. They don't have that distraction of a shareholder view to take them away from the, 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 the way that they think the, the, the direction of the company should be traveling. Um, and that's that's where you, you quite often get issues. The, the other issue is that uh, if you would get an overpowering investor director um, who tries to start to force the company in a direction that he believes it should go in, albeit he may not have the necessary industry experience to follow it. And the non-executive director has got greater industry experience and knowledge and disagrees with that. You know, that's a fine balancing act. Um, and going back to the point I made earlier, if you need to rotate these, these non-executive directors, especially in a regulated business, you know, it's not a simple task. It's a go to do, talk to the regulator first. Um, and you have to be fully transparent of the reasons why you're changing people out. Um, and rightly so. Um, and if you're changing them out because they're not getting on, that's not a particularly good message to deliver to a regulator. Uh, if you're responsible for, you know, consumer or businesses, client monies. And, and I think uh, you, you've mentioned basically here regulated entities a lot. And when it comes to that, obviously, you know, the non-executive director needs to be approved by the regulator, whether it's the FCA or in, in Saudi, Saudi Central Bank and, and others. But when it comes to all the other companies, those independent advisors and board directors also get compensated and rewarded in such a way that, you know, they have vested interests to also make money out of the transaction. So how do you align your NEDs in or non-executive directors in that instance? And how do you make sure that the overall board is moving in, in one direction? I think that when non-executive directors have um, uh, options within a business, they tend to be um, more of a, a, a bonus because obviously the salary that is paid to part-time non-executive directors uh, is substantially differential to the, the, the full-time executive and rightly so. Um, I think that if a non-executive director is getting so uh, excited about his share options, he's probably been allocated too many. 
Um, and I think that it's incumbent on the business to manage the options grant to the non-executive to make sure that they maintain and encourage, you know, independence. And, you know, I use the word honesty, um, because the last thing that you want to have is uh, an independent who forgets the role that he was originally brought in to, to, to fulfill uh, purely because he wants to get a, a short term payday for, you know, a few hundred thousand pounds. Maybe shifting gears a bit here and a question to both of you, Alvaro and Nick, is the role of the founders as the business basically grows and the interaction between the board and the founder. I know, Nick, you've lived it a lot throughout your career, yeah. but it will be really interesting to, to understand how that role changes over time. I think, I think what happens is business is mature. Um, you know, if go back to, you know, when we set up WorldPay, you know, it was me and then we, we grew the company. Um, and we went from, you know, sort of 27 to 275 people within 18 months. Um, I, I was fortunate. I, I brought on a couple of, of very, very good non-executive directors, a guy called Nigel Batchelor from Deutsche Bank and a lady called Frances Heaton, who was, had been chair of the UK takeover panel. And they were super, super supportive um, uh, in relation to the advice and support and direction that they gave to the business. Um, if I remember rightly, neither of them had options, but anyway, that it was just what, the way that things worked then. Um, the interaction all changed with the, um, uh, the pressure that was applied, um, by the investor director into that. And what happens is the, if the investor director become or an investor becomes an acquirer of the business, uh, then you end up with a very, very, very complicated situation, not only between the individuals, i.e. the investor director and the founders, um, but also between the non-executive directors. Uh, and it's it's a very, very difficult juggling act. There, there is a time um, when, to be honest with you, the founder should basically make up his mind and leave the business. Um, and in my mind, that occurs once the, 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 the what I call the fun element starts to wane. Um, because people who found, found, found business, most of the time are doing that because they see a business opportunity to create something of, of meaning that's meaningful. You know, coming from that will be value. Um, but the initial, you know, gem of an idea is something that's going to create value or disrupt or create change within a marketplace. And although it might have a great, you know, trajectory on a, on a, on an Excel spreadsheet of profitability, there's an awful lot of work that has to go on before that's achieved. Um, so I think that, um, at some points, the, the, if the founder starts to feel that he's not enjoying it anymore, he should stand back and move on before he gets to a situation of, of potential uh, disagreement within the board. And, and that move on is moving out of the board or moving out of the business as a whole? Moving off the board and staying in the business is quite a difficult position to have because you'd be a significant shareholder, but without any control or influence or knowledge. And, and that 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 would give you a headache, to say the least. So I think if you're going to exit, you exit. Uh, and if you're going to stay, you stay. Um, but you need to make sure that your staying isn't disruptive. And, and probably maybe building on this, sometimes you commingle uh, the the interaction or relationship between uh, the role, sorry, of, of a board versus a shareholder. So most of the time you're, you're wearing the hat of a shareholder when it's a shareholder matter, but as, as a board member, you should basically focus on the responsibilities that are given to you. And obviously in a regulated entity, it's, it becomes very, very tricky. I have in um, boards that I've chaired 
called out um, uh, investor directors um, to um, excuse themselves from certain parts of meetings because of their conflicts. And I think that, you know, you have to do that. Um, th there's no point in ignoring a, a point when you have a conflict, you, you know, or, or a, a, you know, a, a, an interest which you should be declaring and excusing yourself from. You know, it's best to just say, look, I, I do have an interest here. Let's be honest about it. Declare it and abstain yourself because then you retain the integrity of the board. If you don't do that, all right, everybody knows anyway that you should have excused yourself uh, at that point that festers and um, starts to erode the, if you like, the confidence, which is so important within the board structure. As a board, going back to what you said, your main focus is the long-term strategy, as well as your fiduciary duty to, to the shareholders. And I think a, a well-functioning board has to have that ability to call people out, to have dissent, to have uh, open and transparent dialogue. And, and be able to set the record straight, so to speak. Yeah, I think that that's, that is also a, a, a real problem in a growth business where, you know, you, somebody's set it up, it's started, it's grown, it's become successful and all the rest of it. You know, you, everything is changing, it's evolving. In the same way as the management team, in the same way as the products, everything evolves. The board and its, and its responsibilities and the way that it operates has to evolve as well bringing shareholder conflict disputes or discussion whatever it happens to be uh into a into the board environment sometimes is very counterproductive correct because there are a lot of fears with that right uh, i don't want to get diluted or what if we add too much leverage on the business i think that um our, our thing you know do i lose my do i lose my preference stake depending on what kind of structure is adopted those are those are shareholder matters and shareholder discussions that typically have no basis or uh, no place in the board discussions. Board is, as you said, more about what is that this is strategy and how we safeguard the business while still going after growth opportunities. Correct. And if you've re if you recruited a C-suite in and you've got a number of those C-suite in the board meetings, um, which you know, I personally tend to support, I think that the the more that the board is exposed to the the, the C-suite, the exco of the company, the better, because they have a deeper knowledge of actually what's really going on in the business. The worse that open disclosure can be, because the first thing they're going to think about is, you know, are we going to get our bonus? Are our options underwater? You know, can I afford to take my family on holiday? And, you know, sometimes well-meaning open conversations at the shareholder level and board, you know, can dynamite a business. Can I ask uh, Nick, and I'm sort of taking over your role as moderator. That's, that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but one question I wanted to ask you: some of some of the, like the top three failings at at board. So things that you've seen are red flags, and when you see that happening, it's like, ooh, ooh this is uh, you know uh, typical of a not well functioning board. Hmm. Uh, number one: investor directors trying to take control of the business when they don't have the majority as, as shareholders. So what they try and do is over, overwhelm the board discussion um, with a view that may not be in the best interest of the business, but is their personal view. I think this, this, the second thing then is a non-executive director um, who gets out of th their own comfort zone. Um, and, you know, the business is growing. They, they could get to a particular level with the business, the business has moved forward, or the regulatory change, the regulations have changed, or the accounting requirements have changed, or, or 
the business is expanded into jurisdictions that they don't understand. It's finding and, and being able to deal with the the rotation of those non-executive directors in an appropriate way that is beneficial for both parties. It doesn't disadvantage uh, either party. Um, I think they're, they're, the, they're the two key things. And then the third one then is really the, the, um, the interaction of the advisors to the board, you know, the accountants, the lawyers and all the rest of it, um, is their interplay back into the board and the influence or, or approach or responsibility that individual board members or committee members take or are granted by the board to deal with those external parties, because sometimes that can end up with a real mess. Yeah. And, and maybe taking back charge here <laughs> uh, one of uh, the the key topics that uh, and again an interesting stat you know in 2018 report by spencer stewart basically looking at the board showed that 50 percent of s p 500 companies have a board chair slash ceo whereas you compare the same stat in FTSE 150 and that's less than one percent so the role of the founder slash ceo slash chairman pushing decisions, uh, making sure that that chairmanship is uh, uh, aligned with management and, and from uh, decision making, it's relatively easy. As you said, in the beginning, you were everything you, you did, you were the chairman, you were the CEO, and you were moving very fast. Um, can, can you probably talk a bit more on the chairman role? Because that, that's something very interesting and obviously differs across uh, the stage of the company earlier versus later and how, again, US companies versus European companies tend to look at this. I think that the, 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 role, of the role of the chairman is to ensure that the strategy and I think stability of the business um, and I, I keep using the word stability because I think it's really important uh, that a business has a large degree of continuity. That doesn't mean that we're not doing exciting things and it doesn't mean that we're not ha have new strategies but there's a continuity in relation to everybody understanding where the business is actually trying to get to um, and, and the pace that that is going to be achieved in um, i think that mixing chair and ceo i, I didn't do that when i became chair uh, i was ceo at clearbank uh, resigned that to uh, charles mcmanus uh, and took the role of, of uh, executive chair um, and you know, there's clear separation between those roles. Charles ran the business, and uh, I, I was chair of the board and basically supported the business. Um, I think it's very, very difficult to, to mix those roles up um, if you are a, a, a regulated business or a public company, um, because quite frankly, you need two people to face those responsibilities and have the ability to have uh, a discussion between themselves and then between the board in relation to any issues or opportunities that the business faces during its its um, time. And, and probably to you, Alvaro, like most of the time when we invest in companies, we deal a lot with founders and few times we've actually elevated those founders from CEO to chairman. I think that's a process that needs to happen in a structured and carefully planned manner. Because uh, obviously, in many of those instances, the founder is the business, right? There's a strong identification between the founder and, and the brand of the business. Um, as Nick was saying, you know, has built up, that founder has built up the business from the ground up, has seen it evolve from the early stages into a more mature company. And so that process or that shift from 
the day-to-day activities of the CEO to a more exec, uh, like let's say a, a more representative and uh, executive role at the board being the chairman, that's something that is a transition and you need to help that individual in processing that because it's not easy. As Nick was saying, you know, letting go is very difficult when you've been involved 24-7 in the business. And all of a sudden you're being asked to step back and provide more strategic, higher level thought process type of activity rather than the very hands-on operational day-to-day. Yeah, this might sound a strange thing to say, but I mean, if I, I look at the businesses that I founded today, they're worth north of $40 billion. Um, and, you know, none of them have failed, uh, which is a testament to the management team um, who have built the business up and taken the, if you like, the ideas that I had as founder forward. Um, if I'd insisted on staying on as chief exec or tried to run all of those businesses, they wouldn't have achieved that outcome. Um, with you know, without a shadow of doubt, because they required skills, boards, um, committees, and everything else to take those businesses forward. Um, and you know, sometimes you know, the founders need to understand that that's an important role. But equally, the boards who take that you know, mantle forward need to understand that they are only there taking that mantle be forward because somebody came up with a bright idea in the first place. And it's quite a balance, as you say, uh, between how you how you deal with that. Um, and, you know, transparency, openness, and good communication is critical to manage that process for the best outcome for all. And that's a phenomenal lesson learned, right? You said transparency, openness for that transition is critical. It is. But I guess you, I, w- I would assume, you had some guides along the way people that you could trust and confer with in terms of that transition and how to do that. I mean, it's a phenomenal, as I said, lesson uh, and, and a lesson learned and insight that you bring to the conversation, Nick, about, hey, if I would have stayed on, probably you know those businesses wouldn't have been as successful. So how, how does that guidance, how does that transition happen? Apart from the openness and 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 transparency, it's, I think it's it's an evolution of I mean, you know business has a lot of luck. I mean, you know, we we talk around you know expertise and everything else, but there you know where I sit, I see there's an awful lot of luck, and it's meeting and talking to the right people, um, and um, and tr- trying to take a balanced view um, of you know the, the direction that both you as an individual and the company and the board and the, everybody else should be taking. Um, and if you if you're running a you know a stable ship, excuse the pun, um, it's far far better than you know running over rocky seas. Um, and um, you know I've been fortunate. I, the people I've met and the senior people I've met and interacted with, you know both within you know the the, the banks that I'm fortunate to be involved with, um, you know through to private equity firms, um, down to the, the the teams within the companies that I've been fortunate to found. You know I, I've learned something from all of them. Um, and um, it, it's as I say, it's important to uh, take that balance, and I think learn something new every day from that, and then apply it. And I think probably maybe to to end on this note, uh, many uh, SMEs actually reach out to me and they ask me, Nabil, when is the right time for us to you know look for governance and add a board and add independent directors. Um, especially during the earlier days, um, the business is growing super fast. Things are happening very quickly. The last thing that they want is to add another voice that's just gonna, you know, change the vision of the company or start challenging them, and and they want to avoid that. So, 
And in, in your opinion, when is the right time? I felt that the, the, the perfect business probably employed as a startup less than 50 people. Um, and the reason for that is that, you know, you've got a passion and a shared vision at that stage within people who the, the communication between that group of people is, is far easier than a larger group. Um, I think once you start to go past that 50 point, you start to create, you know, what would be regarded as a, uh, a conventional management uh, uh, structure. Uh, and I created a lot of laughter at a conference in Canada by saying that if anybody comes in uh, to your business and you employ less than 50 people and they suggest an org chart, they're the first person you should get rid of. Um, and it was it was it was a serious point because um, you you need that flexibility and interaction across the across all of the individuals within the business to make it successful at that stage. I think once you start to get past that point, you do need to bring some structure uh, into the business. Um, but as you guys know, you know you, you you run investments and all the rest of it. You know that the fastest way to destroy a good business is to bring a load of managers into it. Yeah. Well, I guess this was uh, this was a wrap. It's great. Great way to end specifically with that anecdote about the conference in Canada, Nick. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll take that to heart and make sure, you know, that when we're looking at businesses uh, that are under 50 people, do they have an org chart or not? That's a, a good litmus test. I think the, the, the I think the other funny thing is people you know people go out to raise money and then they change the whole of their business approach their management style and everything to fit in with an investor because they want the money and they they sacrifice what what the value of the business was because they they're trying to ad adhere to a load of standards which they've never embraced previously and it ends up distracting them and, and you know pivoting the businesses in some bizarre way. Yeah, totally agree. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nick. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the GC Call with me, Nabil Ismail and Alvar Abeya. The GC Call is brought to you by Gulf Capital and is produced by Amaya Media. You can follow the show in your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Rami, Pocket Cast, and all of the others too. And we'll be back again in two weeks.